G'day everyone, welcome to the Talking Leadership podcast series and today is the second of a series of panel discussions and again I've uh, gone back to the the good people that have helped me create the leadership content in the past and so you will be familiar hopefully with all of my guests and if you're not you should be listening to the podcast so uh, let's start from the top. I'd like to welcome Mandy Napier. How are you Mandy? Good, thank you. Very good. Thank you for being here. So you're a high-performance mindset coach at Mindset for Success. I'd like to also welcome Catherine Walsh. How are you, Catherine? Hi, Eric. It's great to be back. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. She's a senior government executive with experience as an Air Force intelligence officer. Welcome back to David Stewart. How are you, David? Very well, Eric, and nice to be here. And hi to everyone else who's uh, participating. Glad to have you here, mate. Uh, David is the principal at RYP International. And finally, and a recent guest on the podcast series, Joel Tunstall. How are you, mate? Good, thanks. Thanks for the invite back. Joel is a leadership operations and logistics coach at Joel Tunstall Leadership Coaching. So we're looking at the topic area of fit for future leadership. And there's a series of questions that I've put to you all. So I just, I just want to go through the questions for those that are listening. First area is what capabilities do future leaders need to be effective? Has COVID-19 impacted your view of what future leaders need to be successful? And the final topic area, future challenges and opportunities. I'd like to start with Mandy, if I could. So from your perspective, Mandy, what do you believe are the capabilities that our future leaders need to be effective? Right. Well, Eric, I guess I'm I don't know, a little bit biased, but being a mind and performance coach and working with a lot of leaders, I'm not sure that there's a, a new skill that they need. I think what leaders absolutely have to drill down into is that thing called self-awareness. They must be brave enough to look deep into themselves to understand who are they, what do they want in life, what makes them tick, and then to be able to be transparent and open with their strengths and their weaknesses so that they can then empower and inspire their teams of people, if they have a team of people that they're working with. You know, we're energy beings, and the more we clean our energy and step into our power um, and potential, the more we ripple out unconsciously and we impact and influence and I think I had a great quote that I, uh, I've had for a long time from Robin Sharma and the first bit is leadership is not about a title or a designation it's about impact influence and inspiration yet you can only be influential impactful and inspirational when you walk the talk you know how often do we behind the scenes not do the things that we say we'll do and it's about being really transparent and open and honest and that also builds trust and the other skill I think is really critical is engagement you know there's a lot of workforces that are partly remote partly in the office so they they have to drill down onto their skills of, of having better engagement and connection with teams and being a little bit more flexible to understanding the needs of what their teams and or staff may need and what do they really want and working together collaboratively which is also key. Thanks, Mandy. The, the self-awareness element of that response is something I'd like to come back to and maybe couch it in a slightly different way. Catherine, over to you. What's your view of future leader capabilities? What's needed to be effective in your mind? Yeah, thanks, Eric. Um, before I answer your question, I just want to acknowledge those people who are listening, that are those who are in leadership roles or who aspire to be in leadership roles, particularly over the last couple of years, because being a leader and demonstrating leadership qualities is tricky at the best of 
times. And particularly over the last few years of this constant churn, the things that you thought you knew or had worked before, you have to nuance it or change it. I really admire and respect anybody who has stepped into or continues to perform as a leader in their organization or in their community. So in terms of the capabilities for future leaders to be effective, I'm kind of with Mandy in in the fact that I think that these capabilities are are inherent anyway. Um, And I know that we're going to talk some more about the COVID lens in particular. But I guess there's three things that I think about. The first one is about creating a psychologically safe space. So what I mean by that is we've all been in interactions with other people or in the workforce where you feel really comfortable and that you are respected if you put forward a different view or if you are vulnerable to your manager or to your peers and you're you have the confidence that it will be treated with the dignity and respect that you as a human deserve to have. Um, so I think that that's the, the foundational piece for, for anybody who is a leader is how to create that environment, that psychologically safe place. And by doing so, there's a whole bunch of different ways and different qualities. But I guess for me, that's around ethical decision-making and trust, being fair and equitable and empathetic. And I'd explore some of those things a little later in the conversation through a, a COVID lens. So I guess that's the first thing, a psychologically safe space. The second thing is that is almost more of a, a skill set rather than a, an outcome. And that's around that strategic thinking. I think that as a leader, we need to not only just keep things moving now, but they need to contribute to what that bigger picture is and keeping an eye on the horizon. And we've all been doubled down recently focusing on the how do we just survive as individuals, as teams, as you know, business operators. But that strategic thinking piece is really important. And I guess the third bit, which isn't a capability, but I just want to put it on the table early because I'd be interested to know what the other panelists think is a precondition I feel um, to discussing any workplace effective leadership is recognizing the importance of fellowship and that it's a relationship of reciprocity. You can be an amazing leader or do your best at being a leader, but you need to be able to lead people and there needs to be that relationship of of respect and and fellowship as well. I really like hearing the notion around strategic thinking and I'll say why later but the conversation is not about me so let's go to David what's your what are your thoughts mate what are those capabilities you see that future leaders need to be effective yes but thanks Eric my philosophy has always been that leadership is not a part-time work habit it's a it's a lifetime quest and so when we're talking about leadership it's your ability to to lead and influence all the key people so whether it, uh, that, that you're involved with so whether it be workplace colleagues friends family, children, it all falls under the same gene pool. Of, of skills and attributes. As uh, Mandy and Catherine have highlighted, there, there's some things that aren't going to change. That it, since humans have walked the earth, there's been an ability to try and sort of coach and influence others. But what was interesting is, is that there are some key and emerging themes that, that are coming out. And I hosted a series of roundtables late last year for a group of global leaders, and we're talking just about this topic. And one of the things that, that emerged through was key things. One is for our next generation of leaders to have an ability to converse. It's clear the digital age has impacted people's ability to converse. So if you can't look to see, listen to hear, and then process that and give the gift of feedback in a meaningful way, you're never going to be able to effectively lead. And so that is one key skill is that ability to actually converse and storytell and link in with people. The second thing is when we start to unpack the ability to coach, it's just not the conversation. You've, you, as a coach, you've got to be able to sell the why, the compelling reason for why we do things. You then need to teach 
the how. You then need to be able to coach the practice, facilitate the application, build confidence, and then be able to read the play. And therefore, your ability to adapt your leadership styles to cut through is a key part of all that. And so your fire and brimstone speech in trying to teach the how or sell the why is not going to cut it. It's being able to, to build that, that. So the ability to coach and adapt your style to the audience that you're working with is, is going to be a key skill, which links into Catherine's self-awareness piece. And the third key skill that, that I think has come out, clearly COVID has highlighted this because uh, everyone's been affected by COVID, is the ability to self-manage. If you can't self-manage yourself in terms of your mental health, your well-being, your balance, your life balance, and your own objectivity, and being able to pick up and self-manage this uncertain world that we're all navigating through, you're going to have real struggles in being able to lead and influence and coach and support others. So, so one of the things is that is that your first duty in life is to yourself, and you need to be able to self-manage that. And if you've got that half under control, you need, you're, in a, you're in a gifted place to then provide some support to others. So that'd be my sort of summary to intake for the future. David, thank you for that. All right, Joel, what are your thoughts here? Uh, tough act to follow, but I think there's some common themes really shining through. So uh, I think especially reinforcing with me and Catherine on the importance of empathetic and accountable leadership. I think we're seeing a big push towards that being an emphasis for leaders rather than outcome or output-driven fiscal responsibilities and such. So we, we often get a little bit concerned when people start talking about empathy, especially in big business. It can seem like a bit too much of a soft power, but in reality, all it is saying is that as a leader, you need to be responsible for the people doing the job. You're not responsible for the job. And in fact, I think it's that concern for the human being, not that outcome that you try and provide. And then on the accountability side, I think we're seeing that fundamental shift through a bunch of different global events right now and uh, in the public and private sector where leaders are being held accountable. And in fact, I think there's a groundswell, especially of the, the followers, demanding accountability from their leaders and especially seeking out values-based leaders, which links to David's point about knowing yourself, self-management, and I guess adapting your leadership style. It all comes from having a set of values first, and it's a pretty common theme. But if you don't understand who you are, where you're coming from, why you're in a business or establishing a business, you have no sense of strength to lean back on when the chips are down, when the stress is high. And so that's where I think, uh, especially through challenges such as COVID, we see some leaders are uh, struggling because they didn't really know themselves what set of values they aspire to, why they're doing things, and then that colours their decisions uh, uh, differently. Another key capability, and again, I, I agree that there's nothing new here here, it's actually just been uh, had a light shone on a few things. I think inno uh, innovation is very important, especially in times of adversity. So everyone talks about innovation, usually try and capture or seize an opportunity or exploit a, a hole in the market. But in terms of when, uh, again, the chips are down, there's some adversity, some stress, we're time poor, we lack resources. We need that innovation to be able to adapt quite quickly. And the thing that people miss is they think you need to be some sort of entrepreneurial maverick to, uh, to innovate, where in fact, if you go back to basics, it all comes down to systems and practice. That's the only way to generate tempo within a decision-making cycle. You have to be able to lean on practiced systems and have them in place, which we can go into, especially as we talk about communication later on in the piece. But those are my uh, probably my top two at the moment.
I've got a question that I'll pose to all of you. And when you talk about common threads coming through, the awareness of self and awareness of others seems to be fairly strong. And that sort of feeds into this idea that if you want authentic leadership and people are crying out for that, then you would assume, and I, I think sometimes incorrectly, that our leaders do have the capacity to be self-reflective practitioners and then be able to apply decent base levels of humanity around the people that they're working with. So I think sometimes you can make assumptions. So let me ask the following, and it's not to be controversial, and it kind of links into the COVID question coming up, but if we can keep it distinct for just a second before we move to that topic area, do you think, I guess I can't, okay, I can't distinguish the two, so maybe they will blend together. Do you believe as a group that COVID has caught out those that were promoting good leadership but have been caught out and have been doing something that's not leadership i wish everyone could see the faces here because I, I guess i've got the gray matter going so i might go to mandy first do you think some that practice the art of leadership have been caught out and not and I, okay i'll preface this by saying i don't mean in a machiavellian evil way that it's just maybe the skill set wasn't as refined as it could be that that's the caveat there so mm. mandy you first what, what are your thoughts on that yep i think we're or nodding our heads there. Um, from my perspective of high-performing um, business owners and professionals reaching out to me, what I've um, found is a common theme is if people weren't operating at their best before COVID, they'd fallen into less than optimal habits, which is common. And it could be habits of not calling the meetings when they know they should, not doing the follow-up, not planning their day, or it could be personal habits. They were highlighted during COVID times because when we're faced with uncertainty as human beings, that's, that reaches us at the very core and then it causes a lot of stress and anxiety, as we've seen all moments of panic. And at times like that, human beings fall back into their old habits. So I've worked with a lot of people to help shine the light on what wasn't so good, what was sort of highlighted in COVID and help them work on themselves and their habits and who they are so that they can future-proof themselves and be able to manage and grow and thrive going forward. David? The research is pretty clear in terms of what leaders do that successfully navigate times of um, difficult times. And one of the things compared to just managers a leader does is drives a sense of resilience and optimism in the team. So how do you get through tough times and build that sense of team resilience and togetherness? And so the qualities that build resilience is a really important aspect of, of, of leadership, but also infusing optimism around we are making a sort of progress or how we're going to get through this together. And so giving that that sense of trust and confidence that we're on top of this and we're working together to, to work through those things. And the other thing that, that really sort of drives all that is the symbolism. And, and, and uh, Mandy touched on this is what the leader does or does not do, what the leader does or does not reward and recognize, what the leader does or does not role model. Symbolism is a really important thing. And so in times of crisis, team rituals become really important to endorse and enforce uh, throughout the organization uh, and throughout your team to build your team chemistry and team dynamics um, around that, which Again, in a COVID environment, you had to work doubly hard at uh, those rituals when so many people were working remotely and you didn't have that, that normal socialisation, collaboration of teams. Getting through and dealing with difficult times you know, it does require leaders to step in, which is quite a different skill set from management, which is then driving that 
that resilience and optimism. And this is where you think good leaders actually understand how that works, where managers um, will struggle with that. And so, so this, is, this is where it becomes an important aspect of how you cascade resilience and optimism throughout the organisation that you symbolically do and what you repeatedly say and do, and that's authentically met and understood. Yeah, thank you, David. Catherine, do you have a view, mate? I want to just distinguish, I think, for me, in answer to your question, I want to answer it in two slightly different ways. One is around the term of leaders. So I think that COVID's really shone a light on the fact that those who are in organisational leadership positions, let's call them senior decision makers, have been discovered, some of them that they actually don't have some of the leadership attributes because, to be honest, they haven't had to display them as fulsomely. So they have positions of authority based on the org chart, but I guess I'd like to discern them as leaders from those who've really stepped into the breach, who don't have a titular role or a regular opportunity to be, you know, where people defer to them. And I've seen in the workplace, um, I, I, um, I work in um, I work in the public sector, and there's a great sense of team and collaboration uh, in all of the departments I've worked in. I've seen uh, the demonstration of leadership by those who don't have those those positions. So I guess there's I guess there's two ways of answering it then in terms of I've I've also seen the great which is those who've never had a chance really do step in and um, and as part of that team buoy the limitations or the gaps that appear so it's not just leaders or senior decision makers sort of we're not just looking at them in a void because they're part of a bigger system and I think that there's been a lot of what I've seen is a, a lot of generous people who who. Uh, more who certainly have been more supportive of the foibles of individuals. I guess also what's been really interesting that I've read about and, and my um, more learned colleagues would, would have more understanding of the research to back this up, talking about authentic leadership and being vulnerable is a really interesting one that I've witnessed work well and work not so well in the last couple of years of leaders who demonstrate that vulnerability because they're human too. They don't necessarily have all the answers. That point about self-care is just uh, and looking after yourself as a leader is just so important. And I think that's become really clear. And so some teams and peers have responded really well to that vulnerability of someone putting up their hand and going, this is beyond my capabilities or my capacity at the moment. Can someone help me? And people lean in. And then there are others who just go, go, well, you're not much chop. You're a leader. You're supposed to be able to do all these things, even if you've not been presented with this scenario before. So I guess if I was to distill all of that to answer your question, I think some people haven't necessarily been caught out. It's just that it's been clear that they are in positions of seniority based in an organisation and their demonstration of leadership qualities perhaps isn't what we would expect. But then you know, where there, are, where there are failings, there are also opportunities. And I've seen a number of people just step in and take, uh, demonstrate leadership in a non-titular way. Joel, what's your view, mate? Very similar to everyone. I agree there's no, uh, no change, but it really has uh, shone a spotlight on what is good versus bad and usually through actual humanised leadership example. I think we nailed it when we distinguish the difference between a manager and a leader, and we've spoken about this a little bit before, and I think a, a, a way to wrap it up that probably uh, Catherine and I are quite used to from our military backgrounds is Leadership is an art and management is a science. And we found that a lot of people in leadership roles, managers hiding uh, in leadership roles. 
we've spoken about the moral authority versus the appointment or the command authority. And that's a really important point that Catherine made about those uh, leaders with moral authority who won the respect of the team versus any formal appointment. And I guess the the uh, other side of that is we've spoken about, again, technocrats, doers who have just been really good at the doing, get elevated, elevated, and they find themselves in, uh, I guess, air quote leadership roles. But again, they're just more managers than anything. And I think that the thing that evokes is a feeling in those people who are who are following these uh, these leaders or managers. And a couple of things stick out to me in the fact that you've never been managed out of a crisis and you can't lead from behind a laptop. And those two things really ring true for me. So it means that we need to invest more in that leadership thing. And if we're looking at tools, it's actually getting out there with your team in front of them face-to-face setting a leadership example, which means you need values and uh, and strategic plan and vision on where you want to head and how you're going to bring them along for the ride. You've helped to answer the second question. So I'm going to go rogue here a little bit and change my second topic area just slightly. And I'll put a proposition of some thinking that I've been doing We can accept that COVID-19 has done a lot of things to the world of work and it has had potentially varying effects on what leadership looks like, what it feels like, and and what you might call effective leadership versus not, not so effective leadership. But what I've been seeing and what I've been hearing is that one of the key things that COVID-19 has brought out in the world of work and particularly leadership is the appetite for ambiguity from leaders and the ability for those leaders to adapt to change, so changing circumstances. I think the two are very much connected. So in my view, I think that is an area that is still underdone in terms of discussions around how do you empower and and increase the skill sets around dealing with ambiguity because I my perception around this and again this is why we're having the discussion is that most people don't like change but adapt because they need to or if you've had some training you'll find ways to deal with adapting to change and ambiguity but it's not something that comes naturally as in I'm going to take this on come hella high water I think the natural inclination is to run a mile the other way so you stay psychologically safe I want to put it out there I, I want to help shape my thinking around this and hopefully get some people to ask some questions. So I might go to Joel first, mate. What what are your thoughts on that as a proposition um, around COVID-19? Yeah, look, I agree. Uh, and again, COVID-19, it could be any any crisis, whether it be a financial crash or, you know, your, your company's in some adversity. But all it does is it reduces the time in which you have to make a decision, which means you have to, you know, draw in data, assimilate it, know where you're wanting to go, make a smart decision, measure it and readjust and the ability to adapt to change 100% is a, a, an undervalued uh, characteristic of a lot of people, especially I think through the recruitment process or talent acquisition where, uh, you know, and, and unashamedly I work well in the veteran space being one myself, I see a lot of veterans in, in corporate business adapted really well because they are well-trained through formal training and then experiential practice in uh, uh, planning and decision-making in high-stress, high-speed, austere environments. And again, a lot of the time it does come down to having those basic systems practiced in place. And I think David was the one who spoke about communications and I agree, it's completely vital. And so many organisations that you go into have no real clear understanding of how they communicate. They might have a smattering of an email system, a uh, social texting platform, a website, any other number of systems, but there's no formal way to communicate, especially decision decisions, planning, and plans on a page to push out to operationalise to teams. Uh, and I think then as well, it comes from establishing that culture of empowerment from the outset. So 
it's that you know, uh, a 10 pound word, but what does it actually mean? Well, it means that the leader actually, actually find the method in which they'll achieve it. And what that allows is especially those leaders uh, with the moral authority at lower levels to actually exercise situational leadership and take control within micro situations without having to reach up and constantly hit back to the more formalized leaders. What that does is generate tempo through your decision-making cycle, which makes you able to adapt quicker. Mandy, your thoughts? So, so from my perspective, what, what I've seen in, in, in the leadership and the people I've been working with is people who are entrepreneurial and creative have adapted very well but not everybody has a natural creativity and entrepreneurial mindset. They're much more staid and they need more certainty. So that's where it takes, I believe, a leader to work on themselves first with one of my favourite topics, which is curiosity. And curiosity is all about asking ourselves better questions. So when the leader can ask themselves better questions and engage their team and get them thinking together questioning it can open up people for obtaining a lot more clarity and innovation and ideas and clear directions for moving forward a leader needs to give really clear instructions and be able to I guess the people in the military or have been in the military getting the trenches with the troops you know you've got to get down there and do that too but I do think that I know Catherine called it strategic thinking I call it thinking time taking time to think with your team and without your team and blocking in time to do that. I think that is really important, making the space in our busy worlds to stop, reflect and be able to move forward by pressing that pause button, engaging your staff, asking for engaging them with collaboration and making sure that everybody is clear by that basic thing called communication. Are we all on the right page here? Does everyone understand, you know, almost repeating your instructions back and being able to make sure that people are coming along with you because some people get change easily and love it and they've gone on to the new idea and other people are being dragged along feeling stressed and anxious and packaged around that is being more mindful of people's well-being and mental health. It's a massive problem these days. I won't go into, but I have been a volunteer at Lifeline for a couple of years previously, so I understand what a massive problem it is. And I'll leave my favourite one, which is grit, um, which I believe we all need a bit more. But I'll leave that one right now. Thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Uh, David? We do live and always lived in a world of uh, ambiguity. The world's grey. But, but I think what COVID helped highlight was some of the key lessons there is just how quickly staff can align and adapt to the changing circumstances out there. As COVID unfolded, people could align and adapt um, to suddenly needing to work from home or suddenly work with lockdowns or restrictions or change their shopping habits um, or start to engage with others or suddenly uh, start to learn Zoom or team meetings and those things. And so, so it was easy and we didn't need a plethora of change management consultants to come in to help get us change ready. It was game on, but there's a few prevailing things that we needed. So we need to have the compelling why. Okay, why are we doing this? And that was clear. People could then process that and then say, okay, so how do I personify that? What does that, that mean for me? And as we start to go into that, then how do I then align behind this and how do I adapt my circumstances and then what do I need to be agile to? I start to answer those questions. But every time we have a difficult circumstances, what it does is starts to reveal what's concealed in leaders and that's, the disease of absent leaders. 
And so these are the highest number of leaders that create a toxic environment because they never do anything right and they never do anything wrong. They hide behind a title and they just try and navigate through, but they don't stand for anything. So it's something here. And so if you've got an absent leader, like nice person, present person, but they don't start doing some of the things that Joel, Catherine and Mandy have started to articulate here. If, if you don't get that in place, you then get people, they're not being able to align, adapt or be agile to the circumstances because they actually don't know. And so ambiguity is personified by the fact that this, this person's absent. And this is the biggest issue that we have in uh, leadership is that they're the ones that survive for long periods of time in being the uh, the mediocre middle management uh, of organizations that, that that kill and they manifest and I actually start to think the humans are actually hardwired wired to change presumably from year five to year to, to, to year, from the age of five to 20 we went to school and we didn't stay in grade three because we didn't want to. We've got our change ready to actually move forward. And education is a great example of some of the experiential principles and learning principles you need to do to help drive change, which seems to get absolutely lost in business. And building a, a learning journey for people with growth mindsets that, Handy, uh, that Mandy highlighted is mission critical to helping navigate and self-manage ambiguity. That's, that's the world that we start to go in. You know, am I going to be a good father or mother? Don't know, but give it a crack. And that's the hardest leadership uh, lesson you're going to go is you're going to adapt as your kid goes through. I vividly remember, you know, my kids entering year nine at school. I got three daughters and each one of them, I started the year as daddy and finished the year as loser because they know everything at the end of year nine. So then you then have to adapt your parenting style to actually round them back up. And by the time they're 18, you got them back again. But, but you know, it's it's a journey of, uh, of leadership. So the same thing comes back into our agile and adaptive leadership and goes through in terms of how do you pick up on the, the DNA of managing this notion of ambiguity and how do you put forward the three horizons of thinking to allow you to navigate this journey out of wherever you are. So horizon one, get us through amb ambiguity and, uh, and and survival. Horizon two, the next 12 months or so, what are we going to be going through? And horizon three, well, that, that's uh, let's park that and find out what, what's coming forward, but not get ahead of ourselves. That takes leadership and that, that takes engaging your people to do this together, which is Mandy's thinking about thinking piece, putting the blue hat on and taking time out as a team to say, okay, where are we at now? Where do we need to get to? What are our top three things we just want to focus on and knock them off? Catherine, your view? I agree with everything that Joel and Mandy and David have said, and, and I love the fact that they've each pieced different parts of the puzzle together. Um, I think that um, from my perspective, there's a commonality that of experience that in a work environment um, that most people have had because of COVID. So other change management processes I've been involved in pre-COVID, there are people who are at different paces and different speeds. So as Mandy identified, some people based on their personality or their experiences in the past or how long they've been in a role or in a, in a department means that everyone's at a slightly different speed when there needs to be some sort of change in a, in a workforce sense or in a workplace sense. And therefore that, that ability to adapt to change is incredibly difficult for a leader. Whereas COVID sort of exploded everything and everyone was living it again at different paces, but there was some commonality. 
so I think that that in some ways made it a little bit more of a an opportunity rich situation where like Mandy said the coming together as a team as a leadership group and working it out and being iterative as you go everyone was kind of experiencing the same sort of thing and could therefore be empathetic so it wasn't just the leader being empathetic it was all contributors to the to the team and to the workplace doing that as well I wanted to revisit something David said to an earlier question around building resilience and optimism. Sometimes, uh, I know you didn't mean it like this, David, it's not about being a Pollyanna in one's optimism, but it's around focusing on, in my view, around what people can control. And in any situation, be it in a a change situation or um, in these ambiguous circumstances that we've all worked through, there is some modicum of control that people can have. And then that, that empowerment, that ownership that Joel talked talked about is something that is really real and tangible wherever you are in you know in an org chart or or whatever responsibility you have in a team so so I really liked the what David said and I didn't have a chance to revisit that before but in a practical sense for your listeners I, I think that's it isn't it's there are real skills and applicability of the things that that we was been that we have been saying the last thing I wanted to say is not just about leaders but also just about workforces in general is um, a couple of years ago the World Economic Forum released a report on the top 10 skills that workforces would need by 2025 and this was pre-COVID or just as COVID was starting to become a known commodity across the world and in that unsurprisingly was around flexibility, ability to change, resilience and whilst grit wasn't expressly said that's the subtext of a number of those of those skills. So you know we're now in 2022 we're sort of halfway towards that horizon that the World Economic Forum identified and we've had an accelerated pace for leaders as well as for everybody who contributes in the workplace to be able to to adapt to that change and and deal with ambiguity, which I don't think would have put us on the same even playing field had COVID not. Thanks, Catherine. One thing that that comes to mind, and this is around baselining. So when people have asked me the question, why are we developing leaders? What's the point of leadership development and getting people to become more effective leaders? I can't disagree with anything any of you have said here, but what where is the baseline for good practice versus trying to aim for better practice and then exceptional practice? What's gold standard in some of this when you're dealing with leaders? So you've all said things that intuitively make a lot of sense, but what I what I want to know, and, and um, by nature, I'm, I'm a curious uh, fellow, so I'm, I'm putting this out there and there may not be a, an answer right now, but I'd love to see what you collectively think is, do we do enough of, of finding what the a standard is for good leadership, what effective and good leadership looks like? Because at, at times I, I get asked very basic questions from people I know and, and colleagues around the places. So why are we aiming to understand what, what leadership is if, if it's out there? And so I want to ask the question to all of you in the context of the questions that we've just gone through what is good versus what is bad? Do, are we better at identifying the bad, ineffective elements of leadership and not so much at what are the effective parts of leadership? I might go to Mandy first. Interesting question. Thanks. From my perspective, I don't because I don't work with companies in leadership roles, I work with individuals and teams. I believe that every human or most humans, I better clarify that, has 
um, a desire to grow and evolve and be their best. So to me, part of being a, a good leadership is becoming your best person along the way of a leader. It's not about so much what you do, it's how you show up, how you present yourself. And then I guess, do you walk your talk? So the reason I'm so passionate with part of making great leaders is working on their mindset is everything that we do in life starts in our head with the thoughts, the words, the beliefs. So when you can clean that out, you can release your past stuff. You show up as a better human being. You know, we've all met leaders who are like magnets. They just exude this positive energy and people flock to them. So to me, part of creating great leaders, there's a lot of it that you can't teach in many textbooks, but it's about how you incrementally improve as a human being. What do you hold yourself accountable? You know, the individual has to want to be their very best. And that is what I truly believe is an important piece of leadership. It's how do you manage your mind? What are you telling yourself? What, what's coming out of your mouth? How do you manage your emotional state? And how do you respond and react to other people? You know, it's everything that we are behind the scenes. You know, 95% or 93% of our impact is how we show up. It's what's going on with us. So to me, if we really focused on individuals being their very best at every level, I think that would be a massively awesome goal to work for from my perspective of a mindset coach and leadership. And I'd love to hear what some of the others say about that. Joel, your thoughts? That's a great question. Tricky one. I had to uh, madly scribble down some thoughts. Look, I agree with everything uh, Mandy says there and some great points. I, I think... The difference between good versus bad is a good way to frame it because we do often uh, focus on the negatives rather than the positives. And again, with leadership being an art, it's hard to articulate what good is. And I think when it really boils down to it, good leadership is a feeling and a feeling that it evokes in others. Uh, and I recently listened to a really great TED talk from uh, a gentleman called Andrew Solomon. And he said, all leaders leave a legacy and it's defined by others. And I think that really sums up the question well, in fact, that sure, a, a leader inserted into an organisation has a set of values that the company uh, issues them with. They have a set of KPIs, they have a set of regulations of do's and don'ts, and they have a, a bunch of um, targets and goals that could make them a, a good leader, again, in air quotes. But that's probably more management goals and things like that, trying to hit profit budgets and stuff like that. Whereas I think the, the sign of a good leader is that feeling that it evokes in the people following them and only they can be the judge of that leadership. Thank you, Joel. Catherine? That's tricky because I probably don't look at it as necessarily good and bad leadership. I, uh, I do hear particularly what David was saying about where we've seen ineffective uh, leaders in the past and COVID's really put a spotlight on that. For me, it comes back to what Mandy was talking about is one's self-introspection and one's ability to um, learn from their own, I don't want to say mistakes because, you know, that's like a word like fail. It's just so definitive and it has so much emotional baggage to it. But we learn, in my experience, we learn best when things haven't quite gone like the playbook said it should or our expectations and again you can't you can't learn that academically or or only to a point so I think there is a piece of life experience through that curiosity that courage to try different things to be attuned to the your surroundings as well because what might be seen as good leadership in one context uh, may not be in another and I think that certainly some of your podcast guests you've had previously shows that juxtaposition and that not that not necessarily neat transferability across industries of what one leadership style 
works in one situation doesn't necessarily in another. So I guess for me, it's around, yeah, the the core of who the individual is in terms of their self-awareness and then doing something with that learning. But then that has a then that has to sit within the environment and being attuned to the people that that they're interacting with. So be it their team, their peers, their superiors, their stakeholders, their customers, however that looks. Yeah, thank you for that. There's a few things that I might come back to on that, particularly about self-reflective practice. But before I do, David, what were your thoughts, mate? Yeah, this is, this is an interesting question. And I, I guess, you know, I, I sort of summarise um, leadership in the same thing of, of wisdom. Uh, you know, wisdom you get over time. And, uh, you know, we, we, people in their 80s have far more wisdom than people in their 20s because of the, the life lived experience. And ultimately, uh, as Joel highlighted, um, whether you're an effective leader or parent, um, that'll be in the view of others. There's also context too, isn't there? And so, so when you're coming into what type of leader do we need? If, if someone's needed to come in and teach the practice, that's quite a different leader the leadership skill rather than building the the acumen of reading the play and, and dealing tactics so so it, so in terms of the many facets of, of of leadership that that come through 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 this but f- for me it comes down to the l5 leadership model and the five pillars of leadership uh, which they use in education and the first pillar is the start and end of it leadership starts from within and and this this starts where we're both Mandy, Joel and Catherine were talking about to say, well, I actually got to have an appetite to lead. And part of my appetite to lead is I've got to be able to make a difference. I've got to be trying to influence something. I've got to be, I'm trying to do, do something, have some aspiration. And I haven't got that. Well, then I, I can't lead because leadership is not a, 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 a is not a base of, of competencies because you can choose any leadership style. You can Everyone who's actually done anything uh, that's made a difference have had to use all sorts of leadership styles, but it comes back down to this leadership comes from within. And then how I then go about prosecuting the ability to, to, uh, to influence and engage with others and then build professional practice in others is is, is something that, that goes into what comes over with, with wisdom. But the start Starting point of any leadership is okay. So, what are you trying to? What's the legacy you're looking to leave? And that's the starting question. Then you then talk about the strategies for progress, and then how you're going to role model some of those things. But most importantly, if, if you've uh, that's the fundamental that, that leadership starts from within. At times, I get thrown a bit with the question, "Well, why you? Why do you want to develop better leaders?" And sometimes there's not a clear, there's not a textbook answer to that. Sometimes, but there's definitely the the response in my sorry, the response in my mind. I'm not speaking for other people is my definition of leadership is is a lifelong ambition to be of service to others that's about doing for others and not just doing for you and i think the karma the good karma that comes back from doing that to me there's no measure for that but i think it's a philosophy and uh, i would get shot down by those who look at this stuff from a strictly academic lens only but I'm, i'm trying to think of this from a practitioner perspective when you're living and breathing leadership people will come to you with all sorts of unique and idiosyncratic perspective on things that you thought you had a handle on and as soon as someone throws that grenade in the room you go oh shit maybe we should be thinking about this slightly different it helps you to build your own practice and one of the things to note here and I don't think I've said it enough in my podcast is the 170 odd conversations I've had if I walked away from this tomorrow I've improved as a human being by listening to others tell me what's good and bad and ugly in process as well because you um I think something that I can't get rid of in my thinking is if you don't want to subscribe to a process of lifelong learning you're never going to get better at anything and if that's not 
fundamental part of your leadership practice, then you'll only get to a certain point anyway. And this segues nicely into the third topic area, which is future challenges and opportunities. So while I might have a dozen of these things in my mind, it's not about what I'm thinking right now. So I'll go to Catherine first, if I could. Give me your your list if you have them or dot points around challenges and opportunities that you see around the leadership topic if we're talking fit for future leadership, Catherine. Thanks, Eric. So I guess that there's two challenges and opportunities that I see going forward. And again, earlier when I wanted to distinguish between those in titular or leadership positions, those senior decision makers versus leaders who who demonstrate leadership qualities, uh, my prediction for 2022 and 2023 from an HR perspective is that there is going to be, there's uh, been a bit of a glut in the pipeline around performance management and an acceptance that we've all been in really tricky situation for the last couple of years, um, that ambiguous situation. And to have high-performing teams, I think that uh, some of that's become quite clear about those who perform well and those who perhaps um, have been in abeyance for a little while. So that plus the idiosyncrasies of workplace workplace health and safety as we enable people to be able to work flexibly and work from a variety of different locations. I wanted to flag that as being my HR prediction because what that means for leadership is from a senior decision maker's perspective, we need to give those who are manager leaders, and I use that term deliberately, the tools and the imprimatur to be able to do that to make sure that they can have high-performing teams. If we don't give them, if, if the resources and the appetite and the culture is not there for from the top, then it's lip service and and that um, that will make that challenge even more so. And then I actually think has a detrimental effect on, on long-term culture. So I think that's a challenge, but also an opportunity because we've demonstrated, as Joel said, what innovation is in the last couple of years. It doesn't have to be whiz-bang technological. To me, innovation is how do you improve something a little bit from what it was yesterday? And we've seen lots of people being creative and curious and, and adaptable. And so we should focus on the positives and the opportunities that that presents as well. So I think from a leadership perspective, then enabling people to have the tools to be able to do that and then exalt that um, is going to be key. The second thing, right back at the beginning when I said it wasn't just about personal qualities, but also that strategic thinking that, as David said, looking on several different horizons for the future. Again, leaders are going to, and senior decision makers, I think every operation, regardless of industry over the last few years, has become more and more efficient cut back to being really lean and we've seen that there isn't any fat or contingency and so there's going to have to be some really important discussions because they have people and resources and again cultural ramifications around how do we make sure that we can continue to deliver the expectations that people have of us so be it staff be it stakeholders be it government be it you know, business partners, I think then how we do business and make sure that it can be sustainable going forward, the models of the past are not necessarily going to be the same replicable models going forward. So that's, again, both a challenge, but an opportunity to see that. They're my, my two. Thanks, Catherine. Joel? Uh, challenges and opportunities in this space? Uh, yeah, there's a few. I'll try and drill down on, on a couple of challenges first. I think uh, on everyone's mind is obviously the 
flexible work arrangements or work from home situation and tying in a little bit with what Catherine was saying about issues with performance management, work health safety, uh, issues with those sort of disaggregated workforces now. We throw the lens of, I guess, when you're in a pinch, when there's a crisis, I think there's a lot of challenges as the leader there when you have a mixed workforce blended over, part in the office, part work from home or one or the other. In, I guess, a, a military parlance, we always say that the leader moves to the point of most friction, which really means that when there's a, a main event, a, a crisis, anything happening, the key leader responsible uh, and accountable for those outcomes moves to the area where they can have most impact. And at times, that may be uh, getting down in the trenches, so to speak. And sometimes that may be going to that team and giving that human leadership example and all those things that Mandy talks about in humanising, being a visible person, living those values and showing them and displaying them to your team to motivate them towards an outcome. I think that's very difficult to work from home in the virtual space. Obviously, it does have its purposes for some of the more routine, mundane stuff. But in times of crisis, I think it's going to be a challenge to pull together your team and generate a good leadership effect and, and really move to that point of most friction. I think as well, if we keep looking at that work from home situation, especially in a blended workplace, potentially where you might have administrative staff or leadership group who have the opportunity to work from home, but are some of your staff who might be uh, uh, more process-driven, tradespeople, uh, floor staff, shopkeepers, things like that who need to be in the workplace physically can sort of spark a bit of an us and their mentality. And there's a leadership challenge there, especially around your contracts, your award systems, things like that. And I think, you know, it's easy to jump to yoga seminars and slippery slides in your office space, but it's actually hard to put in a genuine system where it feels very equitable to those who come into work versus those who don't have to or have a bit more flexibility around the times and places where they come into work. And effectively, that comes down to pure leadership to make sure the workforce to feel like they are all working together equally towards a common goal, however, just in different ways. Opportunity, so it's not all doom and gloom, I think. There's a massive opportunity uh, because we have access to more diverse inputs. Uh, and obviously, any business and leader is trying to receive as much input and information to make more effective decisions from that. Uh, you know, the world of technology, sharing data across many networks. So you need to uh, harness that. And I guess on the flip side is don't let it distract you. Don't have too many inputs that are overwhelming your own system, especially within your workplace as a leader. You don't want your good ideas and your excitement over um, whatever you just heard this morning on a on an amazing podcast or a TED talk to outstrip your planning tempo that you can generate within your organization. Sometimes you see, I guess, more energized entrepreneurs and CEOs probably trying to pivot a bit too quickly for their own business, which just generates angst and confusion within their team below them. Thank you, Joel. Mandy. Okay, to uh, put a maybe an overall picture on it, the, since the, the COVID, the landscape's changed and I believe there's almost new opportunities out there for people that might never have had them before. It's almost like there's a, a level playing field in some ways. And I also believe that many people with great technical skills and software and, you know, IT industry and technology have massive opportunities, which isn't for everybody. And there's always advantages in times of challenges. You know, we can turn our adversities into advantages. So there's an equal and opposite opportunity out there when someone is focused on disaster, something else amazing is waiting there. So we have to be able to see it. So part of that comes back to having to be more curious 
having to do things differently to be able to see it. Where I see some of the challenges is probably in, I don't think that a lot of people in in the business world have been, this is very general, have been really focused on self-care and looking after themselves. I've worked with a lot of people who have done really well. They've thrived. They've kept their businesses going and they've managed to do all those words of pivoting and being agile, yet they're becoming burnt out. So I think one of our greatest things we need to remind ourselves of and spread the word is it's okay if you're having a day or a moment of feeling like you're running on two cylinders, not four, and just bringing that heart, that human part a little bit back into leadership while at the same time we build our own, I call it grit, resilience, mental and emotional toughness. We also need to be, I guess it comes back to having empathy, but it also starts with compassion for ourselves as well. We are human beings for a reason. We also do, but otherwise it would be called human doings and we're energy beings and we are subject to um, moods, to lots of different things. So I think that needs to be factored in very carefully. And I don't think that there's any any of our current, let's say, politicians and leaders that really have a good grip or a good hold on that at all. That's my thought. David, how would you focus on challenges and opportunities, mate? Yeah, I'd probably just sort of throw them into the same belly week uh, to say, okay, there, there are uh, opportunities and challenges simply because the world is at an inflection point, okay? And the world's been shaped by inflection points. And so what goes with inflection points? Uncertainty, rapid, unforeseen changes, unpredictability. So it's going to challenge business uh, models. It's going to challenge uh, modus operandi, how, how you're working, how you're working through that. And so we just know that's what's in front of us for the next couple of years. And, you know, I've got a client that, um, you know, up until December was navigating, um, you know, they're in the transfer logistics, navigating um, COVID. Now they've been navigating floods on the east coast and doing that and so they're, they're just tubed you know that the things and so so this inflection point is going to challenge things but ipso facto the key challenge and opportunity is attracting and retaining talent and so how do you attract talent and how do you retain talent and the one thing that that i think we've all discussed and highlighted is that the social contract with your staff has to be renewed refreshed and rethought. And one of the things that staff are looking for, assuming that your paying conditions, are, your paying rations are on within threshold, they're then looking at what's the benefit of working here? What What is it that, that attracts me and magnetizes your workforce? And this is a key leadership conundrum that as staff start to then rethink and refresh how they want to live, where they want to live and how they want to work in that, well, how does that, that form into the macro and micro, micro cultures of the business? Some people might wanting to be having somewhere absolutely uh, on-site direct going to because I actually want to socialize and, and work with people. And other people want flexibility and I want to be able to come and go as I go. And so this macro, micro cultures of how we relitigate the social contract of how we engage with and motivate our staff is going to be a really key attracting, retaining your, your, your talent. And that's in, in, in an inflection point. So which way the pendulum falls, with, no one knows at this stage. It's gone one way, it's going to come back the other way um, as we start to go through this, this great reset. But, but also the world's at an inflection point. So this is going to challenge the time Type of things around uh, your business model. So, what type of tra- staff do you need to preserve, protect, and what t- type of uh, staff do you need to recruit and select as we move move into this transition period? And so, so 
this is a, this is a key moment. You start to build into your two things that go into staff capability, so what they need to learn, develop, and grow into, and staff capacity, well, how I structure myself, and then how I need to then recruit and select the next generation coming into this in line with where the um, inflection points taking my business model. So, so this this is the biggest challenge. I, I think uh, that's going to going to um, force our leaders to refresh and rethink their the key attracting and retaining staff. David, thank you. So before we end the podcast, um, I've still got questions around what Fit for Future is going to look like, and that this goes a long way to helping me in my own mind answer that. And I know that these discussions are happening at different levels across the place. So as a final thought piece, can I go to Joel first? Any final thoughts before we end the podcast? Mate. Oh, look, I think there has been uh, some amazing points. And I think some of the key the, the key sound bites to take away for myself was just reinforcement of what we already know, especially uh, David spoke about wisdom being vital for leaders and the fact that that actually can't be taught. It's only through lived experience, which means you have to go out there and, and try things, which links into Catherine's a very astute point on mistakes. And, you know, we need to find a better word for that because we need to encourage first-time mistakes with genuine intent operating towards an outcome if we didn't quite get there it's perfectly okay because how else will you learn and uh, you know we're not really reinforcing people to make decisions or be good leaders uh, if we're not out there trying things out and in turn with that especially the situational leaders and and senior leaders Mandy's point about that thinking time and I know Eric you and I discussed this on another podcast where I drew back to some of my military experience of trying to fight for that thinking time because that that downside of being that humanizing leader in front of your your people all the time is you don't have time just to sit in a chair and look and think deeply about a problem because it can give off a different perception and you know i spoke about uh jumping into my command vehicle and battening down all the hatches to have a really good hard think about something but i think it's a really important thing for leadership teams to find that safe place that time and develop a culture around sitting back in your office looking at your whiteboard and just thinking through a problem uh and especially in crisis taking what I, what I term that tactical pause to stop think consider and then you can ramp up any uh, any actions that need to come out of that uh, so that's probably the key takeaways it's all nothing new it just really reinforced and i think leaned out and shone that spotlight on what is vital for us as leaders moving forward thank you joel mandy so much gold in there, but I am going to hone in on two things. One, Catherine and Joel talked about mistakes. In my perspective, I'm a past athlete. In performance psychology, feedback is breakfast of champions, and we call it focus, feedback, fix. So I do not look at it as a negative thing. To me, it's brilliant. And a lot of leaders cannot honestly feel okay with having feedback. So I think if we could sprinkle a bit of that in and frame it differently from performance psychology, that would be an awesome thing. And the second thing, we are at an all-time level of lack of trust in a lot of our leadership and, you know, the higher levels of echelons of government, et cetera. So I truly believe that now is one of the greatest times that we've ever had for a bunch of new leaders to come through. I have met so many amazing, inspiring young people who do have wisdom beyond their years. They are out there. I believe it is their time to shine as long as they work on themselves and have passion, desire, and all the things we've spoken about. And that's what excites me. I'm always um, optimistic 
and solution orientated, but I, I truly believe that now is the moment for new amazing leaders to come through. And I hope that some of the leaders, David's mentioned those people sitting up the table, would you call them the absent leader? I hope that they get out of the way somehow or other. Um, because I know a lot of big companies still have those absent leaders. I work with people that have to deal with them and it's exceptionally difficult. So I hope somehow they step out of the way and let some of this new talent, new young entrepreneurial, incredibly focused mindset on giving back to the world. Thank you, Mandy. David. Thanks, Mandy. I, I love uh, your, your uh, feedback. I always find that the gift of feedback is is critical because without the gift of feedback, no learning can take place. So feedback should be treated as a gift. But I got two two things. One is as a leader, just understand everyone has a front yard and backyard. Your front yard is what people put on in and you see in the workplace and the the face they put on their game day face. And the backyard's the main game. And if you're not familiar with a person's front yard and backyard, it's very difficult to coach meaningfully and, and little things you know i did with leaders during covid is to make sure every leader asked their staff member who was working from home to just grab their uh, laptop and walk them around the house so they actually knew the circumstances by in which they were living and that would then inform how you then coach uh, and lead and connect with people so everyone has a front yard and backyard so so that forms part of that understanding of empathy and and knowing that and but but also that informs their motivation will, that little thing spinning in front in the middle of them about what motivates people. Um, it's their front yard, backyard alignment and the seven dimensions of wellness. They, they go into that for another time. So, so I call it front yard, backyard alignment. And that's critical for leaders today because if you actually don't understand that, well, then you can't lead someone. You haven't earned the right. And the second thing aligned to that as a leader, do you actually look to see and do you listen to hear? And that means taking time out to, to look to see, managing by walking around, managing by talking, Walking around, connecting with people, taking time out, having team a, a team cadence with your people around how you actually check in with people, listen to their tone of voice, listen to their vital signs around all those things. And so you can actually look to see and listen to hear. And that tells you whether your team's with you and keeping up with you or not. And that then informs then what you then need to check in with. That'll be my my two key themes uh, to, to finish with. Thank you, David. Uh, and to round things off, Catherine, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Eric. There's been such rich conversation and I've made a number of notes of things that I need to go and read up on for next time. Um, so thank you, everybody, for helping enrich my education as well. Um, there are three things that I guess I'm pleased I'm last because I'd like to sort of wrap from what I've heard from Joel, David and Mandy. The first point is around leaders' self-care um, and having their own support mechanisms um, or support, they're like their cheerleaders, for want of a better phrase. We've spoken a lot about leaders and what they need need to do but sometimes it's it is okay I just want to assure your listeners that leaders don't need to know everything all the time and that ability to step back that ability to create space to think like Joel and Mandy reflected is really important and if you still don't know I think a great demonstration of leadership is then figuring out who does and making sure that then they're part of your your team and that gathering of, of information so everyone can keep moving forward. But looking after yourself when you're so busy looking after everyone else is something that we kind of as leaders forget. Um, so that's the first thing. The second, I 
love, David, how you talked about the social compact that exists in, in teams, um, and that's that relationship of reciprocity. Um, leaders can really only do the things that they do, in my view, if there's followership. So there's great individual responsibility. Like we've talked about what leaders need to do going forward, but individuals need to demonstrate their own self-leadership of how they contribute to a team as well. So, so I think that's a really important part. And then the third, to wrap that all up in the spirit of feedback, it is hard being a leader and you don't always get it right all the time. But I would encourage your listeners, I think there is great generosity in giving truly insightful and considered feedback. I would encourage your listeners to go and give one of their leaders um, a piece of positive feedback and let them know, even though they're not getting it right all the time, that you recognize and you see that they're doing the best that they can. Because leaders also often don't get any feedback except uh, constructive to use the air quotes and so being told that yep you're doing you're doing well you're doing the best you can um, I think is really reaffirming regardless of who you are. Thank you Catherine there's going to be a lot to mull over here and um, I'm hoping people will engage with this through uh, putting this out through LinkedIn obviously and, and getting you guys to share through your networks because there's a lot of um, wisdom that came out of this discussion I'm not talking about me I'm talking about you guys as my guests that there's a lot more to understanding the topic uh, around what fit for future looks like and I, I think some of the topic areas you've brought up are still resonating even from previous discussions pre-COVID and during COVID that an ability to be self-reflective and understand what that means is important and I don't think it's done well a lot of the time I think it's something you work on over time but that's only one takeaway for me the other one on this is the nuance of you're not leading in a vacuum so you've got other people around you and if you can harness the the strength of the people around you can make life a lot easier because you're not at work all the time and I take Mandy's point and and David touched on this too if you're not if you don't have ability to turn that mechanism off and do some stuff that isn't work related, you could send yourself crazy. And I've met people that have gone over that edge and it's not a good thing to burn out. It's it's never a pleasant thing to see in people, you know, in leadership roles. So the self-care bit is, I think, really important. So thank you, everyone. Joel. Catherine, Mandy, and David. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you for joining us on the second of these panel discussions. So thank you, everyone, and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.